In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Team Grace, uh, Merry Christmas. And we have to keep Christmas alive in our homes. And we have to make sure that we keep Christmas alive in our families and in our hearts and our discipleship. Because friends, Christmas is about joy. And you see, happiness comes and goes. Pleasure comes and goes. But joy, joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It comes from above. We don't give ourselves joy. This fallen world doesn't give us joy. Joy comes from God. It's a gift of the Spirit. And during this Christmas season, the Holy Spirit desires to pour that joy into our hearts. But you have to make sure that we allow the Christmas season, the full duration that God wants, so that that joy can continue to get deeper and deeper into our hearts. So as we have to endure the brokenness and the fallenness and the sufferings of this world, that joy that's been placed and planted in our heart by the Spirit cannot be stolen or eclipsed. So we know that we have a liturgical year as Catholic Christians, and we know that every season in that liturgical year has a theme or a topic, right? So we've been highlighting that here at Our Lady of Grace. So for example, if I ask you, ordinary time is all about what? It's all about discipleship. And Advent is all about what? Preparation. And Christmas is all about joy. Isn't that great? Because we hear about ordinary times like, oh, discipleship, and then Advent is preparation. It's a lot of spiritual work. But during the Christmas season, Mother Church says, okay, relax. Rather than working so hard, our task is to receive, to receive that gift of joy. So the purpose of the Christmas season is what? Joy. Wow, look at that. We're getting it, aren't we? Huh? So what is ordinary time? What is Advent? What is the Christmas season? Joy, exactly. We want to hold on uh, to that joy. During this Christmas season, Mother Church directs her attention to the Christian family. She wants to praise and elevate the family and acknowledge its unique and glorious vocation. Those of you who have been called by God to be a Christian family, you have a specific calling, a vocation. You have a work to do. St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians that every family is named by God. Your family has been named by God. Your family has been brought together by the providence of God. So when you struggle with the family member, you're stuck with them, right? And perhaps that family member has been sent to you because you're the one who is called to forgive, understand, love, and walk with them. So family is important. It's sacred. It is a gift from God. Let's look at our reading, our first reading from the book of Genesis. What could get Abraham to leave Ur? He was an Ur of the Chaldeans. That was like Las Vegas of the ancient world. The old man lived a good life. He was in a popular city. He had wealth. He had a great network. He was established. What could make that man pick up everything he knew and leave and go to a region he did not know? The promise of a son, of posterity, the promise of a family. And that singular promise is what motivated Abraham to leave everything, his language, his food, his people, his influence, aspects of his wealth, left everything in order to follow the call of this God that he didn't even fully know. But a promise of a child, a son, a family. Abraham picks up his family and goes all the way to the promised land. He gets to the promised land and nothing happens. He's waiting. Lord, where are you? I've done all that you have asked of me. Where is this promised son? We see that in the account of the book of Genesis today. What I think is powerful is this is the first recorded prayer we have of Abraham. We see him many times at prayer, but this is the first time we really see him at prayer. And what is he doing? 
He's complaining. He's doing what we do best as fallen human beings, isn't he? He's just opening up his heart, and it's sincere because when we want to complain, to whom do we complain? Our enemies? No. We always complain to the people that we know are going to take our side, don't we? Rally the cause. Tell us how good we are and say, yeah, you're right. I can't believe they did that and so on, right? So when we complain, we actually show an act of love. We show an act of vulnerability to someone we trust. And Abraham today is complaining to God. He's placing everything before God. He's angry with God and he's telling him. He's hurt and he's telling him. He's confused and he's telling him. Does that sound like your prayer, dear friends? Is that how you pray to God? We know that there are many Catholic Christians who still pray as second graders. It's kind of laughable in one sense. Devout, but laughable. They still pray as second graders. You're so wonderful, God, and everything you do is so wonderful. And so, meanwhile, they're angry, they're hurt, they're confused, they're lying. They are bold-faced lying to God in prayer. Because, well, he's God, I can't talk to him like that. But what if he wants you to talk to him like that? What if he wants you to exactly tell him what's in your heart? And what if his grace cannot work in your heart unless you are sincere and honest and transparent with him? So Abraham opened up. He told God exactly where he was. And what is God's response? Does he punish Abraham? No. Does he tell him, I can't believe you're saying this to me? No. Because Abraham is expressing everything he has from his faith. He knows that God is good. He knows that God is providential. He knows that God is almighty. Everything he's saying is from his faith. And God begins to bless Abraham. In fact, I love the account. We are told that God, even as Abraham is complaining to God, what does God say? Let's go for a walk. God asks Abraham to go for a walk. You walk with someone that you enjoy. You walk with someone that you want to accompany. And God says to Abraham, after he just complained, come walk with me. The spiritual masters argue that Abraham would not have been able to walk with God if he had not been transparent. If Abraham had just said, okay, you're wonderful, you're great, you're wonderful, you're great, God would not have been able to invite him to walk with him. Because as devout as Abraham thought he was being in such an instance, he would have, in fact, actually been lying. Abraham spoke to God. You promised me a son. I left everything for this son. Why have you not given me a son? And God says, walk with me. He takes him outside and he says, look up. Do you see the stars? Now what's interesting is the selection we have in our reading today doesn't have the entire account. Because if you continue to read the sacred narrative, you find out later, and I think this is a sign of God's sense of humor, You find out later, it's actually in the middle of the afternoon. (laughs) So God takes Abraham outside. It's the middle of the afternoon. He says, you see the stars? (laughs) Abraham's like, "Um, yeah. I I know they're there. I can't see them right now, but I know they're there. I've seen them there, right? And that was the lesson, wasn't it? You can't see the stars yet, Abraham. But they're there. And they will come. You can't see your son right now, Abraham. But he's coming. Continue to stay strong in your faith. So Abraham, of course, is being taught by God as he is being invited to walk with God. Now, what's powerful is that as God makes his covenant with Abraham, the covenant is grounded in the promise of a son. The covenant with Abraham is grounded in family life. 
Because one man or even one couple would not have been sufficient. This has to be a family. And we see in this action the reflection that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is reflected on earth by a family. That raises the stakes, doesn't it? That your family, your household, is to be a reflection of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of the Holy Trinity in this world. The unbeliever should look to your house, to your family, and see a reflection of God himself, the God who is love, the God who is mercy. Is that what your neighbors are saying about you? Or your network of friends? I think as we are about to enter into a new year, it can be an opportunity for us to assess family life and to say, what more is God asking? How much more can be done in order for every Christian family, for your family, to be a reflection of the all-holy God? So we know that God made this, Abraham, this covenant with Abraham grounded on family life. I think the book of uh, the letter to the Hebrews is very powerful, our second reading. Abraham is praised for his faith. I think it's interesting because we see a little reflection of St. Paul's sense of humor when he refers to Abraham as a man who himself was almost dead. Should I say that about our older parishioners? Huh? Now, I learned very quickly here, you don't say old, you say older. Huh? I got it, right? St. Paul's writing, he says, we got this man, he's practically dead, and then you got this woman, she's barren, and from these two, because of their faith, the son was born. And what was the gift given to them? The covenant, and what was given within the covenant? Did you hear from our second reading? The promise of resurrection. That Abraham was given the promise, the foreshadowing of the resurrection. That when he was called to sacrifice this son that he waited so long for, his son, his only son, his well-beloved, his Isaac, Isaac is Hebrew for laughter, because Sarah laughed at God when he told her that she was going to have a baby. She was an old woman and she was barren. Because she laughed, God said, okay, you're going to name your baby Laughter. But God said, now take this Isaac, this well-beloved son, and I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham was going to do it. Abraham took his son and began to walk up Mount Moriah. And of course, we hear this account and we think, well, Isaac must be a little boy the way that the sacred narrative is speaking. But actually, we know Isaac was about a 17-year-old boy. He could have beaten up his father. <laughs> uh, where's the animal of sacrifice and why are you carrying that big knife, Dad? <laughs> you know? But Isaac trusted his father. They go up Mount Moriah and Abraham is willing to sacrifice Isaac. But what does he tell the servants as he's about to leave with Isaac? You can go to Genesis chapter 22 and see this. He tells the servants, wait here, and the boy and I will be back in a few days. And St. Paul tells us in the letter to the Hebrews, Abraham was given the promise of resurrection. Abraham knew that if Isaac's life had been taken, God would have brought him back to life. But that wasn't Isaac's destiny. Because we know Mount Moriah is later named Mount Calvary. We know that the well-beloved son will be taken up Mount Moriah. And will be offered. And there will be resurrection. This promise is given in the midst of family life. There would be no promise of resurrection. There would be no covenant if it not had been an Isaac. If there had not been a family. And again, every family is a reflection of the triune God in this life. And no family reflects God more perfectly than the holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And we see that in the gospel today. 
Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, that perfect family who show us exactly what it means to live as a family. And what do we see in Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? Well, first, they were hard workers. They worked hard. They also obeyed. When God told Joseph, pack up your family and head to Egypt, he did it. Sometimes people wonder, what happened to those gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh from the Magi? The early fathers tell us Joseph hawked them and used the money to get to Egypt. Huh? So we can say Joseph was also a prudent man. So faith-filled, hardworking, docile to the works of God, to the direction given to them by God. Does that describe your family, dear friends? Because that's what the Christian family is supposed to be. You see, I think the great challenge right now in the church is so many Christian families define themselves by the secular family. If in a neighborhood you have a secular family and they live by their secular creed, at least they have integrity. But when a Christian family is following the way of the secular family, that Christian family has lost its inheritance. It has abandoned its vocation. Because the Christian family is to be unique. Salt, light, leaven in the midst of the world. People should be able to look at the Christian family and say, there's something different about that family. That's the call you have. It's a high calling. It's a calling that in order to be fulfilled relies on the grace of God. The life and the power of God within you and within your family. God has named your family. God has placed your family exactly where you are. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. God's providence has you exactly where it is. So if your marriage is struggling, God has you right there. He wants you to work it out. If you're struggling with parenting, if you have wayward children, or if your parents are difficult, or you're dealing with health problems or financial problems, or whatever's going on, you are exactly where God wants you, and his grace is sufficient. And the more you're willing to fight for your vocation, to fulfill what God has given to you, the more God will be able to bless you and be a blessing through you to others. And that's the role of the Christian family. The Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us, and I want to footstomp this, that every family is a reflection of God. If someone did not know God and they looked just at your household, just at your, fa your family, and they had to summarize who God was, what would they say? What would they say? I've seen spouses destroy one another because of a lack of mercy. I've seen spouses become the ultimate enemy to their spouse. I've seen parents be completely negligent and almost despise their children. Their children are a burden. I've seen children completely disrespect and even mock their parents, even in public. That can be the definition of your family. There are a lot of families like that. Is that where your family is? Because it doesn't have to be. The grace of God is active and alive. It's a two-edged sword that cuts through the bone and the marrow. The word of God, the grace of God can heal family life. It can heal families. It can allow you, wherever you might be right now, in God's providence, it can allow you to cooperate with grace and to be, become closer to what God is calling you to be. Maybe God is calling for your family to be more expressive of mercy. Our world needs mercy. Spouses, are, they, are you giving mercy to one another? It should be the heart of your spouse that a person feels the most secure and the safest. 
Your spouse should be the one, you, the spouse. You should be the one that your spouse can always turn to and always know there's an advocate, a guide, someone who will understand, someone who will show mercy. Other than the sacred heart of our Lord, there should be no other heart more trusted than the heart of one's spouse. Is that where you are? If you're not, you can be. You can be. But you're going to have to walk through mercy. I think oftentimes there are so many spouses who hold such unforgiveness and such anger. And they become bitter and their soul becomes old. Brittle. Because our souls weren't made for unforgiveness. Our souls weren't made for anger and bitterness. That doesn't have to happen. Has your spouse hurt you? Offended you? Neglected you? Chose everything else in the world before you? Acknowledge that. And give mercy. Mercy is not saying that what they've done is okay. Mercy is saying what they did happened and you give them the freedom to change. What about parents to their children? This will shock some people. There are some parents who hold a rage in their hearts towards their children because no one can hurt a person more severely than their children. When I have seen what children have said to their parents, I have been shocked. I could never in my wildest imagination even think of saying such things to my mother or father because I love them because I chose to honor them. Christians are different, dear friends. And there are parents who hold that rage in their hearts because of what a child has said, even an adult child. But mercy can lead us out of that anger, out of that rage. And of course, we've seen children hold rage against their parents, sometimes with good cause. There are many people who have been blessed with parenthood who have never really lifted up the mantle of parenthood. We have a lot of negligent parents. I see that every time I visit the Kershaw Correctional Institution. Young men who, with a little more guidance, or any guidance at all, wouldn't have to be in such a place. But there are a lot of parents who just want to live their life. One kid, that's it, we're done. That's good. We got the trophy, we're done. We're going to just pawn them off, get the drugs, get the nannies, get the whatever. We're just going to keep living our life. Yeah, whatever. Okay, we got the kid, whatever, you know. The child was never even really welcomed into the marriage. The husband, father, child never really became a family. The child's just there. And what a tremendous loss. And children feel that. They know that. And there's that rage and that anger. Well, we can choose mercy. It's never too late to fulfill one's vocation. And sometimes it's the path of mercy that gives the freedom for a person to change. So maybe it's mercy. Maybe it's time to broaden your family. Let's talk about contraception. You know, as Catholic Christians, we don't contracept. You know that, right? We welcome family. We welcome children. In fact, it's interesting, St. Peter, in his letters in the New Testament, when he's asked, why has God not returned? Why has the Lord Jesus not returned? St. Peter says, well, because he wants to wait, because God likes a big family. He wants more people to be saved than to be with him in heaven. When a married couple use contraception, they are rebelling against God. God cannot bless the marriage. The marriage is removed from the grace of God. And they're engaging in selfishness, self-centeredness. They can call it whatever they want. They can use every argument they want. There are natural and moral means 
of planting one's family that is within the gospel of Jesus Christ and within the moral law. The use of artificial contraception is a violation of that. It's a rebellion against that. If you're using contraception, you need to stop because you're hurting your marriage, you're hurting your sexual powers, you're hurting your love. Imagine if I were to say to you, hey, you're the most important person in my life. I love you so much. Come here, give me a hug. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Put on my gloves, put on my apron, put on my face mask, put on my head cover. Now give me a hug. Give me some love, right? You say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? That's what a spouse says when they're using contraception. You're the most important person in my life, but just don't, don't get too close to me. We're done. There's a line there. We need to talk about that more often, dear friends. It's uncomfortable, but we have to talk about it. We are told right now 90% of all Catholic couples, married couples, are using contraception. Wow. No wonder why we're so messed up. huh? No wonder why we're thinking we can bless gay couples. Huh? No wonder why the divorce rate is through the roof. Because when we do that much damage to the sacrament of holy matrimony, there's not a whole lot of grace floating around. 90%? And most of them are receiving Holy Communion. So not only is it artificial contraception, but then on top of that, you have sacrilegious communions, which the spiritual masters tell us is worse than the kiss of Judas. Worse than the kiss of Judas. So maybe in your family life, God's calling you to welcome more children. Maybe it's time to broaden the parameters and to find a renewed openness to human life. In your family life, maybe it's a call to kindness. Kindness is not being nice. Everybody says, be nice, be nice. One Southern writer of ours, a Catholic Southern writer, said, be careful of nice people because they smile at you while they're leading you to the gas chamber. Nice people smile at you while they stab you in the back. Because nice people never tell the truth. They're liars. It's all about that fake smile. You know what I'm talking about, right? Be careful of nice people. Kindness is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It comes from above. Kindness means I'm going to love you, I'm going to accompany you, I'm going to understand you, but I'm also going to tell you the truth. Your feet stink, okay? I'm going to tell you the truth. That's kindness. Kindness has a strength, a virility to it that niceness cannot even understand. Kindness is where it's at, dear friends. Kindness. So maybe your family is being called to greater kindness to one another. With kindness comes compassion and understanding. It also means a little bit of affirmation. Well, let's conclude with this one. Maybe your family is being called to selfless service. There are a lot of Christian families that have become very insular. That's not our way. The Lord said, go, go, and teach all nations. The name of our very worship is the Mass. Mass comes from the Latin word missio, which means mission. Literally, our worship ends with me saying, the Mass has ended, go in peace. And that's a very nice translation of the Latin. It's actually more brutal. It's like, the Mass has ended, get out of here. Huh? <laughs> I should use that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we're called to go in the midst of the world. And yet we have so many Christian families that are just stuck in themselves. When I'm preparing a young couple for marriage, I always like to ask them, what ministry will you, will you be taking on as a married couple? Oh, no, 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 Father, we're just going to take the first year to get to know each other. <laughs> Look, if you don't know each other now, we're going to have to back this up because you're not ready to get married, right? First task when a young couple is about to get married. Are you ready nine months after the honeymoon to welcome a child? And if you're not, you're not ready to get married. Marriage is about children. It's about family. Right? 
Second is what ministry are you taking on? Because God's given you all this grace in the sacrament of holy matrimony for you to work for the kingdom of God. What ministry are you taking on? As a Christian family, what ministry are you taking on? I think it's powerful when I hear about Christian families helping at Hope in Lancaster or visiting a nursing home or doing some work of the kingdom as a family. That's what we're called to do. So perhaps this new year, God is going to ask your family to stretch yourself a little bit and to do something, to do one of those works of mercy. Do you realize, dear friends, if you go right down Highway 521, some seven miles, you see what's called fourth world, po- fourth world poverty. That's third world poverty in a first world nation. It's right down, seven miles from here. Just drive down, you'll see it. You will see it, right? Go to Mill Hill. Actually, don't go to Mill Hill. You're, you might get hurt, right? You can see it. You can see it right down, right down Highway 521. Poverty that rivals the third world. Right down this highway. What are you doing, Christian family? Hope is right there. The Women's Enrichment Center is right there. Karen Kershaw is right there. So many avenues and opportunities to help. What are you doing, Christian family? Are you trying to alleviate the sufferings of your neighbor? Are you trying to feed the hungry? Or look at our territorial parish. It seems like there's a care facility popping up every month. In fact, we've had so many care facilities pop up, we've had to bring on additional staff in order to help us cover pastorally to make sure that everyone is being visited. Before Christmas during Advent, I try to visit all the Catholic residents of the care facilities in our territorial parish. For some of those people, I am their only visitor for the entire year. They're just right out here. You'll pass some of them on your way home. As a Christian family, you could go and sit with them, read the book of Psalms, pray the liturgy of the hours, pray the rosary. You could go and be with them and be a blessing and show that they are loved. There are many opportunities, many calls given to the Christian family. The task is for your family to find which one are you being called to do and to do it as a family. To serve the kingdom of God as a Christian family. So in all these multiple ways we can ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and what are we called to do? How can we more greatly reflect the love of God in your family and in the Christian family? How can you, Christian family, reflect God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in all that you do? So if your neighbors or your network of friends had to summarize your family, they would summarize it with words like love, mercy, kindness, openness. Is that, are those the words that they would use, dear friend? Because that's the summons that's being given. Today we honor the holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. We honor your families. And with that summons, with that elevation, that acknowledgement comes a great mission. I encourage you not to take the summons, the vocation of your family lightly. I look at the world today, and I know many of you share similar, similar thoughts. I look at the world today, it's like, how do we get in a place where we slaughter children? That's just 40 miles from here. They kill children 40 miles from here. How do we get in a place where we say that two men can be married, or two women? And we're supposed to say that with a straight face. How is it we can be expected to go along when a person, observably a man, is telling us that he's a woman, or observably a woman tells us that they're a man, and we're supposed to change our language to accommodate such delusion? How do we get in that place? 
In large part, dear friends, it's because the Christian family has failed. We stopped standing up. We stopped speaking truth. We stopped giving moral credibility to our message through our selfless service. And we have to change that. The world depends on the Christian family. The Lord was not kidding, is not poetic when he said, we are to be the salt, the light, and the leaven to the world. That's your vocation. You are to leave here, get out of here, and be that salt, light, and leaven. To be a Christian family, a reflection of God on this earth.